Life's too short to be counting coins, so turn them to notes and let them grind. It's a self-made quote that I made on the way here. And I think it's a very apt way to describe my guest today, Suraya Zainuddin, to the latest episode of The Pennywise Show. Suraya is the founder of the blog Ringgit or Ringgit, where she writes a variety of things related to personal finance and many more. In fact, she has a pretty cool tagline, which is, Buy a Malaysian Millennial for a Malaysian Millennial. Today, she's here to share with us some nuggets of wisdom, as well as her exciting new project, which will be discussed in the second half of the show today. So how's 2019 been so far for you, Suraya? 2019 has been awesome so far, Praveen. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure, Suraya. For all of you listeners out there, my name is Praveen Nair, and I'm really excited for this episode because Suraya has an abundance of experience that she would love to share with everyone. So pick up a pen, write it down, because there's a lot of things that you're going to learn today. So Suraya, other than working for, I would say, ROR since 2015, what else have you been working on currently? Thank you, Pravin, for that question. The thing is, when I call Ringgit or Ringgit, R-O-R, they also call it as Ruby on Rails. So I don't know what to call it sometimes, but let's go with R-O-R for this one. So we shall, we <laughs> shall stick to Ringgit or Ringgit then. <laughs> let's do that. Um, aside from working, writing articles on Ringgit or Ringgit, which remains to this day a passion project, a hobby that I try my best to monetize, I do my day job, which is as a freelance writer. I provide copywriting work, I do corporate writing work, I do annual reports on websites and just a lot of writing work. And I think that kind of explains why your blog has so many readership over the past few years. Now, for someone like you to have so much to write about, I'm sure you have gone through, uh, I would say, you've gone through so many different types of experience since young, I would suppose. Could you just share with us some of these experiences that has shaped your view on money and finance? Well, I grew up in a middle-class family and it's a family that prioritized education. So that's one thing that I have, you know, a, a privilege that I had. Um, we are also an English-speaking family for the most part. I speak English to my dad, um, speak Malay to my mom. And I believe that this kind of privileges have exposed me to literature at a young age. Um, but aside from that, my parents have also encouraged me to be independent at a very young age. So when I was 16, 17, I actually went to Japan for a year and stayed with the host family. Um, after coming back, you know, did my studies, I moved out. What was it like living in Japan I live with the host families. I call them mom and dad, but in Japanese. I just visited them late last year. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great that it just showed me that people have such kindness. They were not compensated for taking me in as a daughter. And that's how they treated me as a daughter. So it just showed me how kind people can be, how, um, you know, they, they, they fed me, they gave me pocket money, um, they took me to you know, for family traveling. So it just showed me how... The kindness that touches one's heart and, and makes a difference exactly. as you grow up. And and how about then uh, moving on later on in life when you were in your university? How did that experience shape your view on money and finance? After coming back from Japan, I was working at... A, I knew I had to make money. 
um, and college was starting in about three months. So I looked for part-time jobs. So I actually worked at this telemarketing company for about three months. Um, it sucks. <laughs> day in, day out, call people, try make sale. A few weeks, no sale, depressed. Um, <laughs> but after a while, I got the hang of it. And um, it was a very lucrative part-time work. In those three months, I think, I believe I earned something like 10,000 ringgit which actually kick-started the whole emergency savings and like set out a very good foundation for my adulthood. So um, throughout college and uni, um, I still worked part-time jobs, took up what I can. At what age did you start having this emergency saving fund in mind already? Ooh, um, my parents were generous with their do it you? <laughs> of course my parents were as well always look forward to it anyway. <laughs> exactly I I believe I started having my own like a, you know started consciously growing them during that whole telemarketing job you know so seeing money grow inside your bank account and knowing that you know I had to wake up at 5 in the morning to take the KTM to go to KL living in Sha'alam um, so you knew already at that age I was about 18 years old I already knew that okay this is hard money is hard to get um, and I can't take it for granted and this is the value true true so it, I mean it doesn't mean that you only consider savings once you start working because most of the people that I speak to start thinking about savings only when you start earning mm. money. But like what you've just said there, Suraya, makes a lot of sense for, to me. That habit needs to be cultivated from young. And I would say once you've made that transition from high school to college is when you start to feel the pain. Because while you're in school, you know, you could just go over to your parents and ask for mm. money. But once you go to college, away from them, that's when things get a little harder. It did. Okay, so you've just shared with us about what you did during university. What about the early stages of your of your working career? During the early stages, after I graduated um, from my master's in corporate communication, I went all into the NGO line. So I, I worked in a few NGOs, um, a student exchange organization, a refugee organization, a women's rights organization, all in the communications line. Um, and then, uh, due to circumstances, I moved to Ipoh. Um, tried to look for jobs in Ipoh. Couldn't find any good-paying ones. There were some, um, and they were interested to hire me, but I knew that it was not enough for me to build you know, more uh, on my savings. It was a priority. So I just decided at that point to start becoming a freelance writer. Um, that was also around the same time when I, I thought, let's just try and do a blog, uh, since I've already been writing about money anyway. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. Now, I'm sure our listeners are eager to know, mm. Suraya, because many of us may have full-time jobs. Yes. What's it like to be working as a freelance writer, or in, in any case, working in the gig economy? Mm. How has it been for you financially-wise? Okay. I like to repeat this because it's true. It's hard until it's easy. And the reason why I say that is because there are a lot of little small things that you take for granted when you are, especially for someone who is used to paid employment, right? Mm -hmm. You know exactly where to print, you know exactly where to get uh, medicine, for example, or claim insurance. So all these little details, you have to handle it yourself once you are self-employed. And laying down the foundation might take months, if not years. 
right? Um, and building on your contacts and, you know, knowing exactly how to do the admin work that now you have to do instead of the HR team, right? Yeah. So until you lay down all of this foundation, it's going to be super hard. It's going to be super tough because one, you don't have the skill sets to perform those things. There are reasons why big companies have different departments because one person can't do it all. Um, but until you have figured it out and when you do, and at, by that point, you have enough referrals, you have enough recurring income, you have, you, you have automated certain processes, you know how to do your accounting, then it suddenly becomes easy. And then suddenly you see, oh, hey, like, you know, waking up in the morning and you have a system in place and things have become habit. And you no longer feel that you are overwhelmed with the tasks that you have to do. So at that point, I can definitely say it, it takes a while. Again, mm-hmm. it takes a while. But when you get there, you'll get there. And it's a really nice place to be in. Did you ever like have any regrets? Yes. When the, <laughs> when the pain was, yes. was very apparent? Yes. So during the first few months, I didn't make any money. I was really down about it. Um, because I, the thing about being freelance writer, at least, is that you have to pitch a lot of articles uh, and a lot to a lot of potential employers right um and especially as a freelance writer there are a lot of places that advertise looking for writing work yeah you are competing uh, with people from companies like india and philippines where they are willing to churn out articles for example for like two dollars per article five dollars per article ten dollars per article and you looking at them like, oh my goodness, how that's, am that's I supposed low, right? to be? That is super low. That is crazy low. Um, if you think about it, one article, depending on the length, right? But it would take you a minimum, minimum, two or three hours to finish. Um, a long one would take you a few days, up to a week, right? With full-on research and things like that. And then you see all these job platforms and you see a job offering like articles for like $5 each and then you see there are 100 over applications and you feel quite... You feel demotivated, uh, right? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah, for the yeah. amount of effort you're going to put in, exactly. this is how much you exactly. will be compensated. And you're not even sure if you're going to get the gig. Exactly. And like I said, you know, by that point, you don't know what you don't know. What You don't know what is the usual rate. Yeah. Right, so you go in, you apply anyway because you thought you know just just try it out because you think you don't have any other options, um, but keep on casting the net in the beginning, which is a really big net. I think I applied for like more than uh, the high hundreds of jobs. Um, some of them, you know, it's like fishing. You know, the more fishing rods you put out, um, one or two are bound to, you know, get catch fish. On, catch exactly, on hook, catch yeah. something. So I got a couple of jobs, and those jobs led to like, building my portfolio, writing portfolio, and those became more jobs. Um, and you just kind of built on that and built on that and built on that. So I think to just summarize that whole experience today, you would just say it's going to be painful at the start, mm-hmm. but you just got to persevere and mm-hmm. keep looking out for more and more and more and eventually hopefully someday you would get get a hit i would say um i'm just curious to know about your blog uh, for ringgit or ringgit what is it that runs through your mind before you write every article before i write every article yeah every article is kind of situational um sometimes the ideas just jump out 
like the night before and I just write it out, finish it and post it the next day. Um, sometimes there are topics that I've always wanted to write and I can't find other people writing about it. Um, sometimes it's a slightly different take on what is already existing out there. Like for example, you would see articles about um, side income ideas. Correct, right? correct. And they would list out, you know, for example, like maybe like 10, 20 ideas. But I've never found articles where it says, oh, okay, so this one person have tried all of these ways. Um, I wanted to read something like that. Essentially, I write articles that I personally want to read. That's always, I guess that's the top process. I want to read this type of article. I can't find it. I'll write it. All right. Thank you so much, Suraya. So we're heading for a short break. Mm-hmm. And once we return, we will be listening to Suraya's exciting new project. Stay tuned. Ever wondered what leadership is all about? Is it developed over time? Or are people just born with it? We believe there is a science behind leadership. And we want to help you understand it. Take this journey with us as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world over our range of shows tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leadernomics, the science of building leaders. Welcome back to The Pennywise Show. My name is Pravinaya, your host. And today I've been speaking to Suraya Zainuddin, the founder of Ringgit or Ringgit. In this second half of our episode today, we will be touching on her latest project, Money Stories. Sounds very exciting, isn't it? Money Stories. Could you share with us, Suraya, what inspired you to start writing Money Stories? So, Money Stories from Malaysians, Volume 1, is a uh, short story compilation, right? Mm -hmm. It contains, it's a book um, containing 10 short stories, all with the same team, which is personal finance. And the inspiration behind it was simple. It's a way to get more income for myself. So that's the main inspiration behind it. I knew that traffic for an audience for Ringgit or Ringgit has steadily grew. And I was looking around for more ways to monetize the blog. Because mm-hmm. that's what I'm passionate in, ways to monetize the skill sets that I already have. Yeah. But at the same time, I also don't want to create a product which is useless <laughs> I wanted to have meaning right and as much as possible I want people to participate with the process with me since the audience is from there I wanted some sort of a participation thing going on so I thought we doing a book and I knew that I wanted people to participate in the project in a way that makes sense so uh, I did a writing competition to source for the short stories, um, I received about 40, close to 50 entries. Um, mm-hmm. I selected nine and then I contributed one short story of my own. Of course, from the author. <laughs> from the author, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, compiled that and published it as a book. How long did the whole process take Ooh. from ideation to Ooh. realizing it? Okay. What were the kind of challenges, the roadblocks that you had to face? Okay, There were a lot of roadblocks. Um, in the beginning, I this was my first time publishing a book and I decided to self-publish it as opposed to going to traditional publishers. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, but the thing is, I already knew that it's going to, be, going to be hard. But I also wanted to take it into a wanted to turn it into an opportunity to learn something new, which is the process of self-publishing a book. So everything from like running the competition, you know, finding out how to do it effectively in a way that's fair for all, trying to do 
all the editing and proofreading myself and then failing and then bringing in an external um, editor to bring in the professional touch because obviously, you know, you've been looking at the same document for many, many hours. So you needed someone professional to do it instead of DIYing yourself. Um, putting together the elements of the book required a lot of input related to not just the design of it but also uh, not just the design and the focus of it but also the distribution I had to look for how can I distribute this book in a way that is most cost effective for myself and also the audience how do I accept payment from readers Um, how do I launch it do I need to launch it Um, do I need to do um, uh, you know in real life type of launch so all of these things are challenges that I'm going through at the moment but I can honestly say that I'm having fun figuring it out. That's great to hear that's really great to hear the fact that even though you've been through so many roadblocks you feel a lot of joy in doing it. I do, I do, yes. That's really great to hear Suraya. What about the capital expenditures that you've had to make in making this project a reality? Today I released an article explaining just that so because during the 10 day pre-order sales uh, we actually sold more than 350 copies of the book. And was that above expectation? I expected we would generate something like 5,000. My goal was 5,000 ringgit in sales, right? In two weeks. But we actually exceeded 10,000. So that was that's just, I'm I'm blown away by the support received. I broke down inside the article everything that I spent on the making of this book, from printing to the cost of the designer, to the editor. Um, I bought a uh, one-on-one coaching with an editor. Um, In the process of doing the book, I wrote about uh, the logistical expenses that goes inside it. Um, I wrote about the payment gateways that I'm using, which and the, the plugin, the exact plugin which I use to collect payment from Ringgit or Ringgit website. So you have to you have to realize that like for traditional publishers, say for example, if you go to MPH, right? Okay. Um, you as an author go there like here's my draft, here's my manuscript, and then MPH will be like, oh, okay, so um, we'll print it, we'll publish it, we'll distribute it, wait for a check. Right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm doing all that work now. Now, with regards to why you started writing the book, right? Like you mentioned, it was about, it was revolving around personal finance. What were the other ideas that you're trying to explore through this book? The overarching theme is that everyone has money stories to share, right? We live in this culture where we have like, authority figures telling you always about what you should do with your money, giving you advice. Some of it is good advice, some of it is bad, some of it scam people out of their life savings. And I I believe that all comes from the fact that for some of us, we have not been encouraged to talk about money in our life. We have been, you know, the word money is taboo has been thrown around a lot. But it's not. But it's not. Um, and the fact that it encouraged people to talk about money in a way that is kind of non-trending. I mean, it's short stories. Yeah. You know, it's something that you can read in one evening. Quote, unquote. Even though the, the overarching theme is money, but it's, it's not quote, unquote, like serious. You know, there's a fantasy um, story about, which with the same theme inside. There's a, a story about a, a single father and his daughter. The story that I contributed inside there is about like a fictional Malaysia uh, living in this 
dystopian Malaysia. Dystopian Malaysia. Yeah, which implements universal basic income. So it's just a reimagination of how money stories could look like. So a blend of both fictional and non-fictional Correct. elements to it. Correct, yes. Now, I, I actually was very interested when I read your story on uh, universal basic income. I think that's a very alien concept for many of us here because we've definitely heard about it mm. especially with the age of automation mm. and uh, people are chiming in with suggestions and one of it is the universal basic income what would you say in very layman terms what is universal basic income and how would it affect all of us today there are pros and cons to universal basic income. So for listeners out there who have just heard of this term for the first time, uh, universal basic income is the idea where in a society, money, uh, a set amount of money, uh, enough to live on, is given to everyone in society regardless of their financial status. Right, Whether you're homeless or whether you are CEO, you get the same amount. And this amount will cover, it's just enough for your living costs. The idea behind universal basic income is that it will eliminate a lot of financial related stresses, um, especially for the in Malaysian context, B40. Stress related to housing, to health, uh, to food, um, to you know, all of these things. You know, what would happen if society lives without this type of financial stresses? That's a concept that I find very interesting. To explore what would happen if people are not desperate mm-hmm. in their lives. It's a very interesting society. And based on the research, the very little research and experiments that have been done so far in different countries, it sounds like it's a good concept that we should explore a little bit. But of course, it's not something that is popular for two big reasons. One, we don't have the money to actually implement it. So I suppose you would exactly. need to really have deep pockets. Exactly. You require so much of capital. Exactly. So we don't have enough money to fund it. So even though like the benefits are great, you know, lower crime, higher health, um, and all of that, well, we don't have uh, we don't have the money to fund it. The second um, reason why it's unpopular among certain people is the fact that people always go back to, oh, what if they use the money for the wrong things? So all of this micromanagement of thinking, oh, you know, we don't believe that you will use the money effectively. So let us, let the free market dictate how you should live your life. This is what I think you should be doing with the same amount of money that we're getting. Exactly. But the thing is, they have merit too. I mean, we have, um, you know, like medical experiments where they give out, say, for example, money to drug addicts, right? And then it will turn out that, yeah, they do use the money to buy tobacco instead of buying food for their families. So I'm guessing, ah, okay, it's not like an unfounded argument. It becomes very... Uh, pretentious and and people start to try to look over the shoulders and kind think of, kind of, oh yeah. my, my my life is being watched by someone else right now because so i don't know where i stand on this spectrum based on the little studies that we have now many things are good about it but at the same time i also know that it has the potential to be abused um will it the answer is yes, probably by a small segment of society so in my story actually i explore how does People, how does the abusers look like in that kind of society? Yeah, with all the interrogation and, exactly. and uh, inspection being done. Yes. It's a very interesting concept because when I was reading it, I could feel the fear 
within it, you know, the, the other alternative that you're presenting to the story, right? The fear that the main character feels mm. all of a sudden in that situation. And it's very clear to me that if we are going to implement or go on the road on something as very radical as UBI, mm. a lot of changes are going to happen. With that, Suraya, why should one read money stories when there are many other options out there? I mean, if you go to a, pers- if you go to a bookstore, you would find so many different types of books on personal finance. So why should one pick up money stories and flip through it, like you said, in just one the evening? The honest answer is that there's no other personal finance literature like money stories from Malaysian volume one. The honest answer is that I consume a lot of personal finance content and I can't find, I literally just produce a book that I can't find anywhere else. I wanted to read stories that are related to the theme of personal finance but reimagined in so many ways, you know, again, from like fantasy to real life to personal life uh, to real life experiences and I couldn't find it. Um, the only one that you can find in market is about like how to pick stocks and how to you know, buy property at a young age and those are great those are amazing but those are also sometimes a bit too heavy and dry and I just wanted to create something what's the name edutainment kind of content if we love stories humans love stories and some if I can further you know the con- money concepts in the form of stories hidden in them then that's it that's that's the aim now I know I'm putting you a bit on the spot Suraya but if you could add in another story, you know, into the volume, just share with us very briefly, what would that story be about? In the process of doing the story, I suffered like the longest writer's block ever. So I rotated between different angles before I eventually went into the whole UBI kind of storyline. I really wanted to do two stories. One is about an LGBT character in Malaysia um, and okay. the whole, you know, being hidden mm-hmm. but also making a living. Another one is about a sex worker, also based in Malaysia, and how he or she um, works and finds clients and files taxes and going through about his or her daily life. So I wanted to go through with these two storylines, but eventually I decided on another one. Because you had to choose one, I suppose, right? Well, Well, at least we know what was the precursor to what you have written in the book. And we've known the, the different ideas. So hopefully that will come out in volume two. So Suraya, with all that said and done, how can one purchase money stories? <laughs> Thank you for asking that very important question. <laughs> uh, you can purchase it at ringgit or ringgit.com. Okay. Uh, I decided to just sell them all through that platform. Um, and it's simple, you know, it's like easy checkout kind of card system it's like an online store yeah kind of system so you've heard it right there listeners if you would like to get a copy of money stories volume one written by suraya and a whole other bunch of talented writers you can get it through ringgit or ringgit and voila enjoy the reading now before we end suraya i would like to ask you a very simple question and one that i like to always ask my guests in the show what would be your one nugget of wisdom to our listeners out there? If there's anything that I would love to end this show with is that 
never ever stop learning, never ever think that you know enough. Um, I certainly don't consider myself wise despite giving this nugget of wisdom. Um, I would never... A very sharp <laughs> disclaimer there to our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, based on experience, every time I thought I knew something inside and out and then something else happens and then it just flipped my world all over and I knew that I just didn't know enough about the subject. So you just have to keep learning and be open to possibilities. So thank you so much, Suraya. Uh, that practically wraps up our episode today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I think I, I personally have learned so much. And I hope to our listeners out there, you've had a great time listening to us. So stay tuned for our next episode. This is Praveen Nair, the host of The Pennywise Show. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.